0: So this morning I'm excited again to be able to open Scripture with you and address the theme that we, I mentioned earlier, the theme of why am I here from the book of Ecclesiastes. But before we open the book of Ecclesiastes, we're going to go to New a Testament, New Testament book, The Gospel According to John. And I shared last week that as we open Ecclesiastes, we're going to find a contemporary or a complementary uh, text in the book of John that kind of gives us um, some more clarity and answers some of the heart questions, the hard questions and the heart questions of the book of Ecclesiastes. And, and we do well to remember that John, the writer of the gospel, uh, knew the book of Ecclesiastes as he knew the whole Old Testament. And it seems, and scholars have shown this as well, that John is actually answering some of the questions that are raised in the book of Ecclesiastes. Questions about life, eternal life. Questions about knowledge, about things of the Spirit and and the wind that blows, which is like the Spirit. These are all things that are connecting ourselves us to Ecclesiastes. But whether John understood it completely, we understand that Jesus has the ultimate answer to the questions and to the heartache of Ecclesiastes. He comes to give us life. And we read in John 10, verse 10, that he gives us life in abundance, and so we do well to hear the voice of Christ this morning as we open the book of uh, of John, and we're going to do that by opening John, the book of the Bible of John to chapter 3, the verses 1 through 15, so John chapter 3, 1 through 15, this is a story of a man named Nicodemus who meets Jesus at night, he was a Pharisee. There we find the word of the Lord. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. with every, everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, Jesus said, and you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. If I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe, How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who has come from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him. Well, now we're going to open the bible at ecclesiastes chapter one and as you do that um, i want to share a few words in, in preparation to this reading that we have for us this morning i came across a quote this week written a number of years ago in a magazine and the title of this magazine article was man the enigma or man the mystery And this truth, they say, is captured in in four questions. This is why we are a mystery. These four questions define that. They are, who am I? Where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? Those four questions define the mystery of our humanity. And I wonder this morning, before we even open Ecclesiastes chapter 1, where we're going to examine some of the answers to these questions, I wonder this morning if you have the answers to these questions. Do you know who you are? Do you know why you're here, where you came from? And do you know where you're going? And I believe the teacher in Ecclesiastes, the Koheleth, as it's read in Hebrew, inspired by the Spirit of God, is going to help us to consider these questions this morning. But I assure you that he's not going to answer these questions in a kind of facile or simplistic way. No, in the face of these questions, he's not going just to say, okay, lift up your chin, smile, and say, just look on the bright side of life. It's all going to be well in the end. No, he's going to invite you on a spiritual journey. It's a quest, an experiment of sorts. You see, he's going to ransack all that life has to offer on this side of the grave, or you could say under the sun, and to see if satisfaction and joy can be found here, ultimately, apart from God. This is the basic premise. If purpose and meaning and satisfaction can be found under the sun, it must be able to be found in the world around us. In the world of things. As one successful business owner wrote, so far as I'm concerned, the world of things is all there is. And this life is all I know. This is the view of secular man and secular woman. And the teacher in Ecclesiastes is going to put that, these questions then to the test And we're going to learn that the teacher applies this test in real time. And he's going to consider three pursuits as he applies this test. The pursuit of knowledge or education, the pursuit of pleasure, or the pursuit of material wealth. He's going to examine these questions by examining these three pursuits to see if you can find and to see if they hold the big answer to the questions of this life. And can they provide a lasting, lasting joy and satisfaction? Well, my prayer is this morning as we enter our passage is that God will speak to you through this. And that you will see the answer that he has for us this morning. And that it will grip your heart and draw you ultimately closer to the one who can give you ultimate satisfaction and joy. And that is Christ himself. So let's open our Bibles this morning again to Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 12. There we find the following words. I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. A chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, Look. I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I apply myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good, but that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And What does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects, I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasures of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done, and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom. And also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what he has already done? What has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise have eyes in their heads while the fools walk around, while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. And I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless. For the wise, like the fool, will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. So I hated life because the work that is done under the, he- under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. This is the word of the Lord. Let's ask the Lord for a blessing over his word. Father, this is a heavy text. In some ways, a desperate text. But it's in your word, and it's meant to speak to us. Lord, we ask you to allow it to speak to us through a weak vessel indeed. But plant your word deep within our hearts. Encourage us. Teach us. Challenge us, convict us by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I believe that Solomon discloses three pursuits that should hold out meaning for this life. And that's the outline of my sermon this morning. The three pursuits that should hold out meaning uh, for our life. And the first pursuit is this, it's the pursuit of education. Or you could say intellectualism, if you want an ism. The second pursuit is the pursuit of pleasure or hedonism. And the third pursuit is the pursuit of material wealth or materialism. And so Solomon discloses these three pursuits, and we're going to begin with the pursuit of education. Does education hold out promise for, and meaning for this short life that you have on earth? Well, in chapter 1, verse 13, this is how the teacher begins. He says, I was king over Israel, and we assume here, of course, that this is Solomon then. Verse 13, I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. And this idea of applying one's mind to study is used throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, and it's not a c- quick or cursory read of an article or an instruction that you get from your teacher on Edsby or Google Classroom. Now, I know your teacher wants you to study it well. Sometimes you don't. But this is a case where the Solomon, the Kohaleth, the teacher, says, I, I apply my mind to learn. I left no stone unturned to understand wisdom and knowledge. He goes on in verse 17, and he says these words. He says, then I apply myself to understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. And the result of that study comes to us in verse 16. Right before that, he says, and I said to myself, look... I've increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. And if we're going to jump down into chapter 2, verse 13, he comes with this conclusion. He says, I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. And if those were the verses that you read, and only those verses that you read in our text this morning. You would consider this the thought that the pursuit of knowledge or understanding wisdom has served the teacher well. He's learned wisdom is better than folly. And that's a good thing to know. But the question that we have to ask is deeper than that. The question is, did Solomon's learning awaken in him meaning? And purpose in this life for the few short years that he had on this earth? And the answer is no. Our confidence is broken almost immediately. In verse 13 of chapter 1, he says that yes, I apply my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. And then he writes, What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. The New Living Translation puts it this way, what a tragic existence to the human race we have here. Or it is a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men. That's a more traditional um, older translation. And he's going to go and he's going to say in verse 18, for with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. I imagine you have experienced the same If you have studied, if you're reading the papers, or if you're reading literature. I remember my mother, when I was going through high school, I went to a public high school in Shelburne, which is about two and a half hours north of here. And she said to me once, she said, for all the books that you read, that unveil the evil and suffering and sin in this world, I need you to read about three times more books that disclose God's hope and God's favor to this world. Don't just rest in that. You see, we need to study history. We need to learn from history. We need to know about the killing fields in Cambodia or the gas chambers and concentration camps in Germany and Poland during the Second World War or the sex trafficking ring even in our own country or the abuse of children that are suffering in our city. We need to know the axes of evil in this world to stand up against injustice. We need to know. But to know this is to know that knowledge comes with much grief. I've wondered, have you ever wept over books or articles that you have read that unpack the evil that transpires in this world even now? The more knowledge we read, the more grief. But it's not only grief that has inflicted him with a gnawing emptiness in his pursuit no, it was the fact that knowledge and understanding promise much, but don't deliver what they promise. You see, in our modern era, we have grabbed hold of the lie that education can fix everything. Even in our postmodern era, which has assumptions about absolutes, it still holds that education is still the ultimate answer. It's the best we have. And so the evils of this world, the suffering, the corruption that causes nations to crumble can ultimately be fixed with education. This is a huge platform within the United Nations. If only we can educate people, the world will be a better place for everyone. But if education is all that we needed, maybe this is a silly example. But if education is all that we needed, why do doctors and nurses stand out in the cold smoking in courtyards around the hospitals every day? They know that smoking causes a host of problems mentally and physically. There should be a diagram posted here that you will see shortly of all the problems that smoking causes. And there are words on there that I can't even pronounce, but they can You see, if education is all that we need, why are some of the most brilliant people I know walking on the streets of Hamilton finding a warm place to stay at night? If education is all we need, why are there so many wars still going on or genocides or trafficking or the murder of the unborn? If education is all that we needed, why are we still living in such a mess today? And of course, God desires that That our society, Canada, and societies across this world be educated. Ignorance is not bliss. Many of us invest heavily in solid biblical education. It's one of the hallmarks of the Reformed tradition to invest heavily in the education of our youth. And we should thank God for that passion and that ability. What the teacher is teaching us here is this. We cannot believe, not even for a moment, the education holds the key to understanding life under the sun. Solomon writes in verse seventeen. He says, "But I learned this too: all of that of what I've learned is a chasing after the wind. It's a shepherding the wind. It's not able to hold on, not being able to hold on to it." And the question is, why? Why? Why, Solomon? Why did you come to this conclusion? Because information and knowledge was neither able to transform his character or the circumstances on the basis of his his education. It didn't get to the heart of the matter. Why didn't it get to the heart of the matter? Because it's not more information we need to see change happen. Listen, it's revelation that we need. Or put another way, ultimate truth was always evading him because its secret is not in research, but it's in revelation. Education alone cannot solve the ultimate problem or the ultimate need of the heart. And here's why finally because true knowledge finds its source in God alone. And herein lies the problem for secular society. God is beyond uh, the sun. He is transcendent. And as a society, we are innately not in the know unless, unless he chooses to reveal himself, the source of true knowledge, to us. And the good news of the gospel, of course, is that he did cut through the sun, you could say. He came into our world of space and time. And we read in John 1, verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He has come, we read in verse 14, full of grace and truth. We know that he is the fountain of knowledge. He is the wisdom spoken about in Proverbs become flesh. You see, without spirit filled faith in God's divine revelation, life under the sun, life without God splitting the heavens to come into our world to reveal himself, without that happening, education is an empty enterprise. It's an attempt at clasping the smoke, that vapor of our life, a desperate attempt to try to corral the wind. And his conclusion to this matter is simply in verse 17, so I hated life, he writes. But you see, his experiment didn't just end with, with education. He, he, he went on. He, he thought, well, if education is not the answer, if knowledge is not the answer, if wisdom is not the answer, then maybe pleasure is. Verse 2, sorry, I mean, chapter 2, verse 1. I, I said to myself, come now, I will test you, this is the experiment, with pleasure to find out what is good. And then we read a little bit later, he said, I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind still guiding me with wisdom. I, I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the sun, under heavens, during the few days of their lives. You see, if the first one is focused on intellectualism, then his second pursuit was one of hedonism. A pursuit of Pleasure. And the testing of pleasure was to try to prove that pleasure, indulging the flesh, would provide the answer to the riddle of life. A little Later on in verse 8 of chapter 2, he says, I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasures of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of man's heart. So he tried women, wine, and song in the hope to find joy in life. He even embraced foolishness, we read, in the process. And I think he's giving us a picture to say how far he went to exhaust these pleasures. And in some ways it's an admission that the one who wrote the rules against this is is now breaking them. Didn't he write in Proverbs 20, verse 1, and this is his words, wine is a mocker and beer a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. But he indulged in wine and embraced folly in the hope to test pleasure. And he built beautiful mansions, as we will learn, in order to welcome in his harem women given to him for the sole purpose of providing sexual pleasure, To him. And we read in 1 Kings 11 verse 3. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And then we read and his wives led him astray. Oh but there was more sophisticated pleasures as well. It's like he had his own real live Spotify account. Working full time for him. He had men and women singers. His entertainment was available to him on demand. Every night he could have them entertain him. He denied himself no pleasure. And if someone in history could exhaust these hedonistic pleasures, it was Solomon. He had the power and the wealth to spare. But the Scottish poet, Robert Burns figured it out when he says these words. But pleasures are like poppies spread. You seize the flower. Its bloom is shed. Or like the snow falls in the river a moment wide and then melts forever. That's pleasure. You're immediately attracted to it. But as soon as you grasp that pleasure, it dissolves in your hands. And the question is, did he find lasting joy? Did he find peace in his pursuit of pleasure? And the answer is no. These pleasures only darkened his soul. They left him grasping for meaning and for purpose in life. You see, even laughter was elusive at this time. Laughter, he said, is madness. Maybe you know, maybe you know this but some of the most depressed people in the world are those who make us laugh. Suicide rate amongst comedians is a sobering, sobering reality. The late Billy Graham shares a story of a counselor who had someone come into his clinic for counseling. And the visit did not go that well. And in a moment of desperation, the counselor said to the man who came in, I- I'm pretty sure that I've not really helped you much. But maybe you know that there's a comedian in town from Italy. And he's running a sold out show as a clown. And people are finding his antics very funny. I think you know where this is going. And the man says to the counselor, I am that clown. You see, some of us are trying to make sense out of our lives by being the clown. And I ask you, how's it going? See, the heart can be so easily veiled by the smiles and jokes we share. But what is the mask behind the mask that you are wearing? Laughter is madness. What does pleasure accomplish? Do you see what's happening here? He's answering the question, What happens when you refuse your heart no pleasure? What happens when you exhaust every opportunity under the sun to try to find enjoyment and satisfaction in this life? You end up in despair. You see, history is populated with story after story of the corrosive power of selfishly trying to satisfy the desires of your flesh. Each story in history is a cautionary tale that should force us to pause Solomon's story is one of many. I was reminded in my preparations for the sermon of the story of Howard Hughes. Maybe some of you know his story. He's one of the richest men of the 20th century. He had everything brilliance, ingenuity, good looks. He could turn dust into money, it seems. He was very popular. But his life was a story of broken marriages, one night escapades, loneliness, fear, and anxiety. It said he would burn down his wardrobe at the end of his near the end of his life. It said he would burn down his wardrobe if he felt it contained even one germ in it. He washed his hands so often that they became raw. He wore Kleenex boxes on his feet. He died alone in a plane, unrecognizable. Was Hugh Hefner any better off when he died? And Jesus asked the sobering question in Mark 8, verse 36 What does it profit a man to gain the world but forfeit his soul? And Solomon says, I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. And what was his conclusion? What's your conclusion now? Everything was meaningless, we read. It was hevel. it was elusive, it was a smoke, it was a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained by this pursuit but despair. So if intellectualism didn't satisfy nor hedonism, well, maybe materialism would. So he goes there. The pursuit of material wealth. Verse 4, it says, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also own more herds and more flocks than anyone in Jerusalem uh, before me. I amass silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. There's two things to note here. The first is this. The thirst to amass more, to live better, to grab all that you can out of your home, your toys, your vocation, comes at great cost to yourself but also to others. Paul warns about this in 1 Timothy 6, verse 9. He says, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And that grief is real. The grief comes when that kind of pursuit becomes an end in itself. Again, I was reminded of a story of a high school student, or high school students actually would always go to their friend's place because their friend had it all. He had the huge home, the PlayStation, the games room, the pool, everything. Yet behind those walls was a story of despair. The friend's father was a workaholic. And each night, the friend's mother would drink herself into oblivion. And they would have to step over her to get into the kitchen to get some food. I'm reminded of divorcees, of the people divorcing, because there's just no time for the marriage. It's all about more. I'm reminded of the cot and the cradle and the silver spoon. Some of you might know the song. Let me just read two verses from this song. It's telling. My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, "Uh, not today. I got a lot to do, he said. That's okay. And he he walked away, but a smile never dimmed. It said, I'm going to be like him, yeah. You know, I'm going to be like him. And the song ends. I've long since retired. My son's moved away. I called him just the other day. I said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind. I said, I'd love to, Dad, if I can find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle and the kids have the flu, but it's sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's been sure nice talking to you, too. As I hang up the phone, it occurred to me, he'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. There's only grief when we pursue material wealth as an end. And why do we think that stuff is going to answer the big questions of life? Is there something you can purchase or own or wear or a place you can live or a vacation you can go on or a home, a nicer home you can buy or a bigger toy or a fancier car that can answer the real questions of life? Like, who are you? Why are you here? Where are you going? Ecclesiastes says to us this morning, it says to you this morning, he says, listen to me. No, it cannot. It's heaven, it's a vapor. You will hold these but for a brief moment, and they will slip from your hand because either you will die or they will corrode, and you will lose those in the midst. Stuff can satisfy, stuff, sorry, cannot satisfy because sin robs all those things of ultimate meaning. Yes, I think the teacher is teaching us a lot here. But I need to share one more thing that he's teaching us here. I'm not sure if you noticed in the verses 5 and 6 that we read. The language of making gardens and parks and planting all kinds of fruit trees and reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. Do you remember reading that? I wonder if this reminds you of another gardener. The gardener of all gardeners. His name is God. He's the creator of the universe. Listen to these words from Genesis 2 verse 8. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden and there he put the man he had formed the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for the food. Good for food. In verse 16 of Genesis 2 we read, And the Lord commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. It's been asked against this text in Ecclesiastes, Is Solomon's pursuit in developing industry, material wealth, Is he trying to play God? Was he trying to build heaven on earth without the Redeemer? Was he trying to flee back into Eden though the curse of death had not been lifted? I think the language is telling. Was it wrong for him to make a beautiful garden? To plant all kinds of fruit trees? Is it wrong to engage in beautifying God's good creation even though it's under a curse? No, it's good. But if you think that by this pursuit we can somehow undo the curse, that somehow you can bring heaven to earth without dealing with the cause of the curse, it's idolatry and it's supplanting God see, the teacher was reminding us here, and we need to be reminded daily that the dust of death settles on everything we do, every seed we plant, every house we build, every car we drive. And death consumes because of the fall. Death is written into our DNA on everything you see and touch and feel, and that's why it's vapor. I hope you can remember that. And humble Solomon, he finishes and he says, verse 11, yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. And then he writes in verse 17, I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. The experiment failed. And listen, it will always fail. Because if we think meaning and purpose in life can be found in education or pleasure or stuff, the teacher is going to tell you again, stop. You're trying to corral the wind. It's a useless activity. But then one evening, 900 years later, or at least 900 years after Solomon, a man stole out of his home, past the council members where they were about to retire to meet the author of life himself, Jesus. And his observations may have not been that much different in their nature than Solomon. His name was Nicodemus, and he was bent on observation and empirical evidence. He'd watched Jesus for a while, and he realized that this man, Jesus, was some other kind of man. So he says in chapter, John chapter 3, verse 2, if you're at home, maybe you can just open up to this story. We're going to close with this. John chapter 3, verse 2, he came to Jesus that night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. And Jesus cuts to the chase, past the flattery cuts to the chase and causes Nicodemus to stop in his track and I hope it causes you to stop in your track and if if Solomon was there it would have stopped him in his track. He says in verse 3, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. You see, Nico's heart was like Solomon's, still filled with the pursuits of this world. He knew the law he was trying to follow it, but his heart was all bound up in this world. He was still a man of the flesh, and Jesus addresses this in verse 16. He says, verse 6, he says, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And then verse 6, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. See, Nicodemus knew something more than Solomon. He knew that God had now broken in through the barrier of time and space and entered this world that is fallen and corrupted. And the gift of grace to Nicodemus was the answer that Solomon needed to hear and no less you need to hear this morning and the world needs to hear from sea to sea. And the gift of grace this morning to you is this, that you and I need a new heart. We need new affections. We need the cleansing blood of Christ to wash our hearts pure so that the Spirit of God can dwell in there and lead us into all truth. That's what we need. Because if your heart is not made new, if we're not born from beyond the sun, we will remain slaves to the flesh and all the fleshly passions of education, pleasure and stuff will continue to consume us to our death and it will be hell. It will be a chasing the wind. Because flesh gives birth to flesh but the spirit gives birth to spirit. If only we could grab hold of this truth with our whole heart. Man is an enigma. So are women. But the mystery is not unsolvable, loved ones. We live in a world that is spoiled by sin. Sin has spread its wings and weeds into all of God's good, good creation. Death is written into our DNA and we can't get back to Eden. We cannot live in perfect unity with each other, nor can we return back to God, the creator of us all, in our own strength. We cannot fill the gnawing emptiness in our hearts with more things or more knowledge or more pleasure, though we try. No, what we need is a new heart. Because unless you have a new heart, you cannot see God. And you cannot understand the world around you. And without a new heart, you cannot become a citizen of a kingdom that will never end, that will satisfy your deepest longings. And you do not gain this new heart by stronger resolve. Nicodemus, is, you're not going to get this by being more religious, observing more things of the law. Your piety will not make you new. No, Nicodemus, you need to repent. You need to receive me by faith as your Lord and Savior. That goes to you as well this morning. You need to realize that the man on the cross died in our place to give us a place in his kingdom that will not end and will satisfy our deepest longings. You need to say with the criminal beside Jesus who understood this truth, he says, Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Luke 23, verse 42. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. I'm the only one who can bring you back. That is the path of life, of purpose, of fulfillment, of eternal satisfaction. It is only through Christ. You see, on account of what Christ has done now, we can read back into Ecclesiastes these words from verse 24. Chapter 2, verse 24. The Kohalath, the teacher says, a person could do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? There's a moment of clarity for Solomon here. Spirit-filled clarity. That moment is ours. It's only because of God can we find enjoyment in the work of God the toil, the food, and the pleasures that God has given us in this day. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the gospel of eternal life in Christ alone. We thank you, Father, that you are the one who restores hope in in, in the face of hopelessness. We thank you, Lord, that you offer this free gift of salvation to us and call us to be born again, to receive you by faith, because only with those new eyes of faith, only when the Spirit is indwelling in us, are we able to look at this world in a proper way so that we do not cling to it as if we can find our answer in it, but we cling to you because you are the answer in it. Lord, help us. Fill us with faith. Fill us with a deep Deep longing for you. Renew our affections. Make them wholly devoted to you. Lord, bless us. And we thank you that you've cut into our time and space. That although you are beyond the sun, you also dwelt with us under the sun to bring us eternal hope. It's in your precious name, O oh Jesus, do we pray. Amen.